Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. Let's get after it. In today's episode, we have an Ivy Leaguer, Brown, representing Brown University, Boston Strong. When you think of Boston Strong, you think of this guy. If in the past they've gotten really, really clean, they're sweet, they're super cool. If you're a fan of New Balance baseball shoes, New Balance turfs, you gotta give love to my man, Matt Nuzo. He is the man behind all that. Talking about Mother's Day cleats, he came with them so clean. They were so awesome when we released that. I love this dude. I love his honesty. I love the way he thinks. I love his passion. I love his hard work. I wish we could do more, more collaborations, more stuff, because I'm such a fan of this guy. It was an extreme honor to have him on the show, to have him talk about his journey, to have him talk about his failures, his honesty with himself his honesty in what he's doing with his craft. So this is a good one, especially for anybody that wants to be in the apparel business. Love New Balance. Love their beautiful headquarters there in Boston. What a beautiful time I had when I was there. So let's do it without further delay. The man, the legend from New Balance representing Boston my man, Matt Nuzo. Let's go. Like, what are we going to do about this fucking Cubano from the south, down, down in South Florida, putting together the firm with the palm trees behind him? He's a monster. He's controlling the market. Valuable stuff. Boom. There we go. Dude, you're the you're the first dude to be behind a garage, man. That's it. I got relegated to my garage for multiple reasons. Mainly because we're doing our our fours over upstairs and my wife kicked me out. Um but uh, but mostly because I got too many shoes up in our condo, so there's not enough room up there for the amount of shoes in this quarantine. So <laughs> Bro, we're, we're going to get into shoes in a little bit. Yeah. What was your dog's name again? Bo. I think uh, Bo is going to go through trauma, bro. Whenever you go back to work, man, you, you saw that meme that they yeah. say that dogs are going <laughs> to. Yeah. No, Bo has been quarantined. My dog Bo has been quarantined. He's been quarantining his whole life uh, before it was a thing. He was a rescue <laughs> dog and he trusts about three people in the world. So. He's probably one of the very few um, uh, people or dogs in the world that 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 are all about quarantine. So he's Dude, loving. Let's that. talk about rescue rescue animals, man. Few people oh. know how important that is. How how did you hear about that? Um, to be honest, my family's always kind of been 
dog people um, my whole life. I, I honestly thought about it recently. I can't ever remember a time in my life where there, I, we'd never, where we didn't have a dog. Um, so dogs have been a big part of my life. And uh, that's saying that just life's better with a dog. Like I take that to heart. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I follow as many, you know, animals, social media, uh, you know, uh, handles right, 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 right. possible. They, you know, the, I think one of them was like the Puerto Rico, in, in Puerto Rico or Dominican, one of them has like this field of, it's called, it's, I forget the name of the field, but it's literally thousands of stray dogs that, um, that this, this shelter takes care of. And it's this huge amount of land and there's just dogs running around everywhere. And like, that's literally my life goal is to get, to go there and just run around with these dogs, test out some New Balance cleats, you know, cut around, get out there and just see me running around with thousands of dogs. But um, yeah, the, the, the rescue part of it's key just because um, yeah, it's a cruel, cruel thing to see. Uh, I think a lot of people turn a blind eye to the, to the dark side of it, which is understandable. It's hard to, hard to watch that, kind of stuff but um you know you you save a you save an animal's life you give it a home but i think at first you 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 think you're doing uh the dog a favor right by giving it a home and a life but like you get so much more in return like so much more and it's such a simple things right like you come home after a bad day <laughs> the dog doesn't care at all like it's wagging its tail throw this ball a million times i'll go get it every time i'll bring it back it don't matter, though. So, uh, Dude, yeah. it's, it, it's fun. It's funny you said that, Matt, because my favorite book by far, I don't read too much. I'm not a big reader. One of my favorite books is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Have you ever read that book? No, I've, I've heard of it, I think. I, but... Great, great audio book. I'm not a reader. I audio booked it. Yeah. And there's a part that they talk about the dog. And yeah. look how important having a positive attitude, always treating you like it's the first time he sees you or she yeah. sees you, is that if you really look at it, the dog is the only animal that just chills <laughs> for us. The chickens have to lay eggs. The cows get yeah. eaten. The yeah. Some of them go hunting, but the majority of them, just because they do the most simplest thing, which is be super happy when they see you. Yeah, and be supportive. They get treated like kings and queens, and if us as humans can take just a little bit of that, yep, apply that to each other. Every time we greet each other, every time we see each other, the dog doesn't care if you hugged him or not. He doesn't care if you fed him or not. At some point, he knows eventually you are, but he's always giving you that love, man. So I've always yeah. that was one of the best parts of me of the book, man. That I really that I really liked a lot, man. Yeah, I'm gonna have to put that on my on my to read to read list for sure. And by Dude, read, I I'm with you. I'm I'm audible all the way. If I get some, if I get if I have some downtime, I will. I'll. The best way for me to learn is to listen to it and follow it, like uh like you used to do, like in third grade, where the teacher would have everyone read a, a paragraph and we'd follow. That's how I kind of ingrained in my mind. But uh, yeah, you can learn a lot from dogs, man. A ton, and it's so simple. 
I think that's why it's we crazy. love it so much is you recognize it, right? It's like, man, I wish yep. I could do that. But you can't. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, you know? yep. Agree, totally so. agree. Dude, last time we were together in person was a, was this beautiful, beautiful sky blue day in Boston, man. What's yeah. going on over there now? Have you guys uh you guys doing better? You guys got put in timeout. We got put in timeout here in Florida. We went crazy and the yeah. numbers are through the roof. What's going on up there? Yeah, so um we've been in quarantine. It's it's loosened up a little bit here. Um, we were in strict quarantine for, I want to say, three months, and um, they they rolled it out in kind of a different phases, three phases, um, and there has been a decline in cases up here, um, but we are one of the states, like one of the leading states in, in deaths and things like that. The Northeast has been, um, and it's just weird times for sure, um, and I think that goes for for everywhere. I don't think the effects of this are limited to any one industry, any, I, I think it's just, it, 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 it touches so many lives and in so many different ways and in ways we don't even think of until we're like, Oh yeah, I, I didn't even think of that. Um, so, you know, uh, I think we haven't, we haven't gone back to the office yet. Our, our, uh, our company new balance has done a great job of communicating, um, being really transparent with their plans and um, supporting from not just from a professional level, um, which is difficult, right? Um, you know, it's a business. It's 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 difficult for for a company. You know, that's you know mainly it's a wholesale business. A lot of it, you know, e-commerce is is booming, and but still a lot of it's wholesale. And like when wholesale literally comes to a screeching halt for three months. Like that, that cuts cash flow like completely to a halt. Um, so that proves that proves a lot of obstacles to overcome. And I think New Balance did a great job of um, talking to their associates, letting them know the deal, um, and and trying to support as best they can. But but also taking it to that next level and and making sure that people personally in their in their lives um, were okay because obviously there were furloughs, um, just like a lot of companies. Um, and then more people that were lucky enough uh, to stay on got more work. Um, but at the same time, right, there's, you got kids at home, people that have kids that are not at school, they don't have to teach their kids. Um, there's just so many different factors um, going on. And um, they, were, they made sure to make sure that everyone you know, is taking time out of their day, not overloading the work, not getting too stressed. Um, it's much easier said than done, but like for a company to even think that way, I think is is refreshing. So, I hear that, Matt. You were you were in Boston? Boston, yep. Uh, at, right, right outside of Boston, literally um, um, Everett, which is. A mile north of Boston, because you got the accent, bro. Everybody, you know, has that accent. Um, my mother has the worst one. If we're gonna be yeah. frank, yeah. And I had a bad one growing up, and then like as I went to college, and then was away for um, 
for baseball for a number of years, you get like made fun of so much that subconsciously, I think you start talking like a normal human being for a little bit. And, uh, which is so stupid, man. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard because yeah. we, we don't know how valuable yeah. accents are, yeah. especially when, when it's, when you don't see it from you, because to you, you might be like, bro, this accent is You might be a little looked down on it, but to me, you sound like a little, what's that movie called, bro? Uh, the departed. Yeah, bro. Which is cool. You know what I'm saying? Because dude, I got, I got here the regional. Miami accent, yeah. which is like this Spanish thing that only us here in Miami had. That when I was in Hollywood, bro, I paid a little bit of money to try to do accent reduction reduction class, which was the stupidest thing I've ever done. So, <laughs> bro, yeah. I, I I I think it's something big. When did you start playing baseball? Um, I started playing baseball, t-ball, man. That was probably four or five years old. I gotta I gotta think. I remember the Dodgers. That was my first team, my, the Dodgers. Uh, and I have two brothers and one older. I'm in the middle. And we always grew up. Our dad played baseball. Um, my dad played the minors back in the 70s for the Cardinals. So, um, yeah, it was always part of us, man. As soon as I could uh, pick up a bat, it was hard to put it down. Um, I was swinging anything. Bees. I hate bees. So bees were always a target for my bat. That's nice. probably why I, I that's probably why I had a bad habit of chasing sliders because bees were they're always shooting, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Sliders. But yeah, early on. Matt, when did you start to notice that you were good, bro? Um I I think I knew that like I could play. To be honest, like my up my upbringing was a little odd because like I grew up in a town in a city where where football was king, and like my mind was always football, football, football. Um, I think probably most people um, from my hometown would probably know me more for football than than for baseball. Um, but my goal was always like I like sports were such a huge part of my life, um, right? It's something that I'm just passionate about and regardless of which sport it was um like i wanted to go pro like that was my goal um and i as time went on i realistically i sh i knew i had a more realistic shot at going in, in in baseball um so like i don't think i realized until late like um i guess how uh how i measured up in baseball because I was always really like football minded, right? And base and, and baseball kind of gets slighted up here in the Northeast, or at least when I grew up, it was like, we're talking like, like right. I, I don't, I, I mean, I know a little bit about the structure of, um, of, you know, high school kids and what, what, what leagues they're playing in now and whatnot. And kind of the, um, I guess, I guess like varsity is, I don't even know if that's like a big thing anymore, right? Like the varsity team. Isn't that um, crazy how that changed, bro? Yeah, yeah. Like it was huge. Like that's all I had, right? Like that's – I had 20 games, if that, every year in high school. <laughs> like yep. 20 games. And I'm like – I think about that now. And like after my minor league career, I'm like, damn, 20 games. I'm like, that's that's like a slump. That's a joke, bro. <laughs> you know, like crazy, if you're in bro. a slump, your, your, your season's done. 
So That's like, I, I, I think I, and I think that was one of the, the factors um, that played into like my late, like um, development, right? So you get to pro ball. I mean, I mean, you get into the later stages when it gets, starts to get to, to be very serious and it's all about like your projection and your um, where they see you and um, what level you're at and how old you are and all that stuff. And like reps wise, like I was probably at the same reps in my lifetime as a 16 year old from the Dominican or, uh, you know, an 18 year old that just got drafted out of from somewhere from Florida. Like, and I was a 20, 22 year old uh, college graduate. Right. So like, but let's go, let's go step by step because yeah, your yeah. college situation is a very special situation mm -hmm. that you're playing high school. Talk to me about the recruiting process. Who was yeah. interested? What was, what were the options before you selected Brown, which is yep. a tremendous, tremendous move? What was your rationale? Yeah, so so I played two sports. I played football and baseball, um, and kind of playing off what we were just talking about about growing up in like a football-minded town. Um, like my my heart was with football. Like it always. There was just something about it that, like, I could never. Favorite uh, football I'm, player. Favorite football player. Who's your favorite, favorite football, football player? player? Probably, Growing probably, uh, probably Barry Sanders. Like, uh, I just liked his. I liked his demeanor. Like, I just like. I still to this day, like, I just love it. Pictures of him where he's just like, like, dude, don't smile. Like, scores touchdown. Like nowadays, it's just me, me, me. That dude just scored touchdowns with like the worst lines ever. And just handed the ball to the ref and went sat down on the bench. <laughs> like I just loved his demeanor. Nice, uh, nice. You know. So, what was I, your football number? I was number sixteen. So we have our our high school was the we were the Crimson Tide. Um, I don't know who designed our uniforms, but um, we have like the 49ers uniforms, which are not crimson whatsoever. They're very much like 49ers <laughs> colors. <Right. laughs> so like they're red, gold, and white. Uh, so like, uh, when I was a freshman, I played on varsity and, uh, played quarterback and they gave me number 16 for Montana. And, uh, that kind of just stuck, uh, uh, stayed with me. So I wore that for baseball. I wore that for football, wore that in college. Nice. Uh, yeah. So then when I started getting recruited, it was, it was weird. Cause I, I got recruited for, um, for both sports uh in different ways um and then uh i wasn't you know it looking back it was it was difficult um you know especially like a high school kid right like like i did i did fine in high school i went to i went to an inner city high school here um in school like just wasn't that hard and i learned really quick <laughs> that that it got a lot harder when i got to brown Um, right, but um, it uh, like I wish I, I I did have some people that I relied on, but like a lot of people are gonna have a plan for your life. Like everyone's real, and and it's a fine balance because like you are young, 
right? You're, you're 17, 16, or when you're getting recruited now, I don't even know people are giving. Oh, you're nine, nine, you're nine years old, nine, 10, 11 years old. So I don't yeah. even know what it goes now, but, um, so you do need guidance. Um, but like, it needs to be, it needs to be from the right people, the people you trust, like you need to have that small click. Um, and they, and they need to have your best interest. Like they need to know who you are and what's important to you and all that kind of stuff. Um, cause everyone's always really good at living someone else's life. <laughs> it's like, you know, the armchair quarterback theme. Uh, so I think, uh, I think when I look back, like I was very dead set on like, I'm playing football. Like I'm, I'm 100%. Like, I don't know. I don't know what anyone's saying. Like I'm, I'm playing football. Like, uh, like, like no doubt. Like I had, uh, Louise, I had LSU for baseball, Notre Dame. Nice. Like I had big schools for baseball calling me and like, I'd ask them like, yeah, like, could I walk on the football team? And they'd just like laugh. Right. It'd be like, yeah, dude, good luck. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> and I'd be like, like, you don't even know. Like, I was just like a hard headed high school kid. And like slowly but surely, and then I had I had offers for for football um, from some like UMass Northeastern around here, and was getting looked at from by some D1s like BC and Wisconsin as like an athlete, not as a quarterback. Um, so basically, it all kind of boiled down to like I didn't want to hang one up. I kind of wanted I wanted to play both. Colleges weren't really like open to that, so I I. Um, I went the route of like, all right, let's get a good act. Uh, let's get a, a school with good academics, um, play both. And my brother was already at Brown and I was being recruited by all, all the Ivy leagues. And right in my head, it was like good education. They'll let you play both sports. They were very open about it. And right. in theory, it was great. And then like going down there and actually living it was much different. It was, a, it was a, shell shock i think of like how much work it was and how much of how much of a difference it was from from high school matt is uh brown in new york no Col so Col uh, new york is columbia and cornell brown is in rhode island rhode island yeah. so real small community no yeah yeah so it's in providence um it's one of the eight ivy league schools um, but yeah, they play, they play, you know, the Harvards, Columbia's, Yale's, uh, Cornell, Dartmouth, all the, all those, all those schools. So it's, it's pretty good competition, um, for sure. And, uh, it's, it's a big time commitment. And I learned really quick that, um, like you're now independent, like you, you, you know, you, you're, you don't have your, your fam there to, to push you right like you're now you know you want to get better you get in the cage and swing you get the coach to you know no one's gonna be like come tap you on the shoulder right you know, right you need to get better or you need to study more or you need to not go out and there's and then you have that independence and you're like oh i'm away from home like there's all these parties and i think i think a big part of it for me too was like i had my brother there already who played football so like i i had known a couple kids which was big because Brown's very different than where I grew up. Like just the, 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 the student body, like it's a very di diverse um, student body. There's kids from all over the world there. And I think right. at first when I went there, like I was just like the city kid that I felt like way out of place, like that, that like no one liked me, no one understood me. Like I, uh, it, 
that like I was just a city kid that no one no one cared about and like uh one Matt, when you said Matt, when you say nobody understood you cared about you why because they were what did you feel they were different that you didn't have um I think it was just probably me ju just um assuming things about other people um maybe the way they dressed or because it is like more of a preppy kind of thing like a yeah yeah. yeah definitely more of a preppy like i mean i didn't i think i maybe owned my first pair of jeans like my freshman year of college just so right, i could right. get <laughs> like so like i was a meathead athlete like and while brown has great sport like good sports and all that like it's not known it's not known for that like you go from being a an, an athlete and like yeah i did okay in school but you go from that to being kind of on a campus where like playing a sport doesn't mean much when you have people that are um you know going to be yeah, geniuses that are, are going to be next year, next politician. Matt, how was that being the different dude? You, I kind of get like a Goodwill Hunting vibe from you. Being a being a different being a different dude. How was your girl game, bro? Did the girls welcome that, or they were like, "No, this dude's no good." Dude, I I struck out more times on campus than I did on the baseball field. <laughs> my friend, I promise you that. Uh, no. Yeah, they heard. Yeah, they heard. They heard probably the accent. They're like, "Oh my god, where did this kid come from?" But uh, oh, no, no. Uh, but like, once I kind of got comfortable, I, I think I was just in my freshman year. Like, like you're talking when you're talking two one two division one sports. So in college, right? You got I go right in right August. You have football camp. And like I wasn't just going in and just like on the team, like I was going in and expected to like play, like go in, run option, play on special teams and all that. So I'd go in August football camp and then we'd have the season in the fall. And during that fall, I was missing fall baseball. And then come the springtime, right? They'd already had fall baseball and all the new freshmen, right? So then my first interaction with the team was in the spring. So they all kind of had like their knit, like they don't even know who I am. And I had missed fall baseball and now it's the season and now I'm missing spring football. And on top of that, I'm at an Ivy league school. On top of that, there's not a lot of people I can connect with because I'm, I'm kind of in my own head and I, you know, I have my brother, but like, and then I'm independent and it was just a lot, a lot, um, a lot to handle at once. And once I, once I kind of got the, into the routine of, okay, this is the structure I need. This is what I need to do at this time. Um, these are the people that I can count on. I legit had probably tutors in every class. Like yeah. I'm, not, I'm not someone that can go to a class and listen to something. I go to all my classes, but I need to hear something 20 times. I'm not someone that can hear something once and remember it. So like it just was time consuming. And um, I, I realized that's what I needed to do to, to get by. It, it, it was hard, but I, but I did it. Um, so I think once I let my guard down a little bit and, and kind of, instead of looking at it, like, oh, I'm so different than everyone else. I looked at that as like a, that's a, that's a positive, right? It's like, look at all these people that from everywhere, from different backgrounds that, that I would never in a million years get to get to meet. Right. And like, now I have friends from legit all over the world that like, 
that, you know, if I had stayed in my, my mindset of like, oh, I'm so different. These people hate me. Like, you know, they don't even, they, they can't even stand my voice or they, you know, yeah. like that. Like I never would have met them in, 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 um, so at, at first it's just like, it was just deceiving at first. Um, and that's how kind of the mind, the mind can get in the way a lot. hundred percent, dude. Yeah. Matt, you played all four years, three years you signed early. When How, how long did you stay at Brown? So I, I played all four years at Brown. Um, I played football for two years. Um, I was hoping my junior year to be drafted. I played in the Cape Cod League during the summers, my freshman and sophomore years. And the, my sophomore summer was key. And that's when kind of I had like my epiphany moment of, committing to baseball um i got hurt training for football that upcoming football season my junior year where i was gonna um potentially take over the reins as a starting quarterback um and i got hurt literally training the morning like i was cross training in the mornings i'd be lifting down in the cape and throwing passes and getting ready for that season. And at night I'd be going and playing, um, you know, against some of the best college teams in the country. And, and when I got hurt and got sent home, I was like, what are you doing? Dude? Like you just, you know, you not to say Brown's not, a, if you're talented in baseball, they'll find you. But like, right. Especially when you're at Brown, like those summers are so important because you're showing your commitment to the game and you're showing it against, peak competition with wood bats and you're playing every day and like I just that was such a key summer for me and I I missed it for for a minute for an, for an injury for a sport that I had no chance of going pro in um right. so from then on out that's when I was like all right I'm gonna go I'm gonna go all in on 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 football and I mean on baseball and and, and see where this goes so from then on out is when I started getting my reps. Like, all right, now I got fall baseball. I can I can swing all year round. And I was excited. It was hard though. Like that, I think I maybe told you that when I was up here. Like, it's a blessing to say, but like that was one of the hardest decisions of my life. Like that's how much football was ingrained in me. Was like that's how much of a part of my life it was. Was like I never even could utter the words to the coach, like, I'm not playing anymore. Like he saw it in my eyes. Like he chased me down he's like what's the deal i'm like i couldn't even muster the words Matt, let me tell you something bro it's crazy man the amount people don't know this and i only know this because i've worked with a couple of kids that play both sports and are very good at both sports mm -hmm. the amount of preparation that football players do to play football is nowhere near what baseball players do collectively because the way the plays are, like, I would watch kids when I trained kids in, in the park. I'd watch these football players, these football teams, just practice plays. Like, literally spend the whole afternoon practicing plays. Imagine in baseball, you do a whole afternoon practicing bunt defense. Yeah. 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 Right? So yeah, that's yeah. why football, bro, is like playbook. And this, it's so complicated, man. And it looks like these stupid barbaric guys on the field. Yeah. But nobody knows how smart football players are, man. And that commitment yeah. to the game is sick, dude. Yeah. And that was another part was like, I, 
I went from the – in high school, I ran, like, an option offense that, like, I could go out and, like, i just see how the defense would line up. And, like, we had – we would just ground and pound you and we'd have, like, 10 pass plays maybe. And, and then when I got to Brown, like, it was complete opposite. Learning the playbook at Brown was legitimately, like, learning – the periodic table, like everything was, everything was a formula. Everything was, I, I get in the huddle in high school and I'd be like tight 36. Like that was legit the play call. And then I get to college and it would be like, all right, we're going hitch 50 check, check. And every little thing would mean something. And then in my head, I'd have to think, okay, this would mean this, 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 this. It just didn't come naturally. And like, that's the stuff that like no one talked to me about. Like no, no. one said they were just like, yeah you're a good athlete you'll be able to you'll be fine and i'm like they had no idea i had all this stuff on my mind like i don't have anyone to talk to i don't know i have my brother that's it but like then i'm missing fall baseball like it's just how i am i worry about everything and uh it was crazy it was crazy times it's it's funny you said that because i feel that we don't analyze people in sports uh, in jobs, especially talented people, because not everybody is going to operate the same way. We're all wired differently. We all have different things that get us there. But what really good leaders is people that are able to recognize that and go, listen, this guy can play. This guy can perform. He can help the team. But instead of going this route, Adam, let's go this route, Adam, instead. And yeah. I think that's, dude, I think that's super important. You got dropped. Year? I got drafted my senior year. Um, by who? By Toronto. Uh, yeah, in the 23rd, 24th round, 23rd round. It's one of those sure. rounds. What um, position did you play, Matt? Uh, so I played all the infield positions in college. I got drafted as a shortstop, but I knew they told me immediately that I was going to move to third. Third base? Yeah. So How tall I, are you? How tall are you? I'm six foot. Nice. I round up five eleven and a half, but you round up, right? Go up, buddy, with those cleats. Yeah. Come on, with those yeah. cleats. Oh, you're right. Yeah, and if it's a cleats, and if it's one. a New Balance cleat, you're with at six cleats, two. Six, oh, six two. Okay. I new think. Balance. No, if you're wearing New Balances, you're six two, bro. <laughs> I remember in physicals, physicals when we were younger, you used to grab. Uh, we used to literally. This was in high school. Take two and a half pound plates and put them in your pockets, so you you'd weigh a little bit more. Really. I would, now you're older and you're like, how do no. I take two and a half pound plates off? Yep, 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 dude. I'm telling you, I believe you there. How was it? Where did you go? You went to high A? So when I got drafted was 2009. I went straight down to, you go straight down and meet the guys in extended. And then they divide you up into... Um, the rookie balls. So I went to Gulf Coast League, and then another group went to um, short season in the New York Penn League. So my first summer was like 60 games down in the Florida Heat in front of like six people every game. That's which sucks. is like Isn't that crazy, man. Yeah, I don't know how familiar you are with the Gulf Coast League, but legit, it's like. You talk to any major leaguer that went through either Gulf Coast League or I think it's maybe the Arizona. I don't know what the Arizona League's called. Maybe the, that's not the Cactus League, but they both they're all they're all played at the, the complexes, and 
there's no fans basically other than like families and girlfriends and and you're literally facing dudes that throw absolute gas no idea where it's going it's a lot of raw talent it's very hard to play um i think G Derek jeter hit probably given he was also like 19 or 18 hit like 200 um it's very difficult to play in and i was one of the older guys on the team and uh i was 22 22 and it was such a weird dynamic man try being 22 and graduate from an ivy league school and battle for time at third base with a with a 17 year old dominican kid and a 18 year old um hawaiian kid that just got drafted it's just a really interesting dynamic yeah and it's super hard maybe now because what's going on kids might be more prepared but how can you at that time be ready for i know the florida golf league because when i was with the mets when i coached with the mets we did the whole thing bro we did palm beach with the cardinals Tampa with yeah. the Yankees, the Mets, Port St. Lucie, yeah. Daytona, yeah, high high Daytona with the Cubs. Then we did uh, the Phillies at Clearwater, yeah. and yeah. it was the big. The cool thing is you're playing in the in the spring training facilities, so, so the facilities. Sometimes, so sometimes you play at the big fields, and sometimes Other, you don't. Yeah. And so Most you of the time we didn't. We we got to play every now and then night games at the big fields. At the big field? Most of the times you're in the how, back. Matt, how long did you last, bro, in professional baseball? Four years. So, um, yeah, I played 20, 2009, 10, 11, um, and then a little bit of 12 and got released uh, in 2012. How high and did I, you go? I got to high A um, in the Florida State League. Um and yeah, and uh, it's it's crazy to think about, but like once you look back, like a lot of things make sense. And I think um, it stinks because like I look at, you know, you, you look back and you look at the numbers and like you look at what you could have done different. And and literally, uh, I think I think it was just reps with me. Like, I think I was just yeah. like I like I was I was literally just they, when they released me, they told me like, Look, you're you're a good pro. Like you, you're a good pro, but that's what you are. You're you're this level. Like you're this is what your ceiling is. Like, uh, and you might get a little bit better, but like we just we want to invest our time into younger guys that have, might have right. a little higher ceiling. And Matt, do you think about that a lot? Do you think about that a lot? I do. Your playing days? I do for sure. Um, I mean, it doesn't go away that competitiveness. I I think. As I get older, like the thing you miss the most, I think, is just like your boys, that like camaraderie, that the the teammate, the locker room, um, like that's, you know, that's where like, I don't know, that that's where you can just kind of be you, with, you know, and uh, right, 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 where like your most like that that feeling of uncomfortable that I had my freshman year at Brown, like that's the complete opposite I have in the, in the locker room with, with, with your team, no, no matter what the team is, right? Like it's, yeah, you just, there's just that bond that is hard to explain. And the best part about locker rooms is like, look at the world right now, how crazy it is, right? With, with everything and all that stuff disappears <laughs> in the locker rooms. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. 
like race disappears. It's everyone's boy. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like you, uh, I learned, I remember learning. I still know the song to this day. Like I know, uh, Yo No Se Manana, that song. I'd sing the whole thing with, like, yes, I'm in sir. there, you know, it's like, I, those are the things I miss the most is just, is just the little stuff that you don't even realize as you're going through. You don't realize as you're going through yeah, because yeah. what happens, Matt, is as as I don't know how your life is now, and it's funny you bring that up, man, in the social realm of how many of your boys that you had in high school do you still hang out with? How many of your boys you had at Brown you still hang out with? How many of your boys that you had in in professional baseball do you still talk to? And it almost it keeps going smaller and smaller because if Unless the people you hung out with, you kind of stayed in the same mix, you tend to grow because not everybody, and you start to understand that as you get older, not everybody's happy where their life ended. Sure. And a lot of guys, especially athletes, have a lot of machismo and testosterone and that kind of like impressed thing. And we have that competitiveness and then we put it to the field and we take it off the field. So that... That to me will forever stay interesting, man, because with me, because I've been to so many places, I noticed that yeah. as I went from place to place, my circle kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And for me now, and I know you just got married, I almost felt that for me, the best way I could have a successful marriage is making my wife my best friend. And living the life that way, for me at least. Do you yeah. see any truth in that at all or no? Yeah, 100%. I think you kind of hit it, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's kind of like counterintuitive to the way athletes are raised. Like um, like I, I often like deflect through like making fun of myself. Like I'll call myself like a meathead or whatever it is, like or a competitor, right? Like. Um, like I was raised to push through pain, right. To, um, to push it to the limit, to, um, not make excuses to, to be a man, right. To do all these things. As you grow older, you realize that like the true strength of a man isn't like, isn't how much you bench press. It's not how, it's not, um, it's not how it's basically how you handle adversity when it comes. and to be completely transparent, I think way more people, way, way more people um, are unhappy than the, out there than lead on. Um, I mean, I battle, I've battled, I've battled throughout my life, different and different spells, depression, and will always battle it. Um, but what helps me is other people talking about it and bringing it to the forefront and, um, and, and, and being open about it and, and, and communicating has never been one of my strong suits, especially it's really weird with, especially with people close to me, um, because you care about them so much. There's this like, you don't want to burden. You feel like you don't want to burden people that, or you don't want to put on them like, um, or give a bad image of yourself to someone you care so much about or, um, but once I got over that and like my wife now is great with that and teaching me so much about that, which I've gotten really lucky as you have, um, it opens a whole new world, man. Like, I don't know why talking about that stuff helps, but it does. Um, 
and just get it's almost like it's pent up inside you and then like as you talk about it it like releases a pressure like oh man it's just just talking about it is it, it feels good because then you realize other people realize like oh shit he he's going through that like I, I think in today's day and age like there's a lot a lot of positives in social media but i think one of the negatives right too is like people often compare themselves always feel like they need to compare themselves to everyone else's life and you're often only seeing everyone else's highlights right like there's matt you're absolutely right dude that's why look the other day it was last thursday mm -hmm. lopez on show yeah george lopez bro one of the greatest like Mount Rushmore, like no one's been on an 18 year tear than that dude from the George Lopez show to like all the things Lopez and I, whatever. whatever. And after I was done with him, 30 minutes after, I'm in a park training a kid in baseball. Yeah, man, you get and it. I, yeah. And I post that. And I post that because I want people to see that the winning is truth. And it looks on the outside that it's for other people to know, but it's for you to know that, listen, this is a process. Would I have loved to end with George Lopez and then uh, go with my chick to a restaurant or hang out at the pool or whatever, whatever. But there's a process in getting to where you want to get to. Mm. And as long as we understand in the comparing nature of things, that each of us have different goals, each of us have different talents, and each of us have different things that we're willing to put on the line to achieve those. You have, let's say an example, you have Mike Trout. Mike Trout now is saying, my wife is about to have birth any day, any minute birth. If I get Corona, that's 14 days. I can't see her. I can't see my newborn, et cetera, et cetera. He has the luxury to be able to say that. Now you take me, for, for instance. I'm dying for anybody to ask me to go anywhere, and I'm, my wife is about to give birth in September. I'm going to risk everything I can because I'm in a position where I can't afford, mm. not financially, I'm talking about opportunity-wise, to say no to anybody. In my head, mm. because the no, and I let an opportunity pass that could be somebody else that comes in, that could be something else that they're like, ah, hey, you know what? We didn't really need Coach HP, whatever. So I am, and it goes to show you the difference of having a goal and believing that your path is that goal and just attacking. Or what, dude? Yeah, and. I think the, the most important thing out of what you just said was like, I think I touched on a little earlier, was like everyone else is really good at making decisions for everyone else. I think, I think the one thing that I maybe wish, I, or actually I definitely wish I concentrated more on growing up is, right, there's so much information out there. There's so many different um, books you can read. There's so many different people you can talk to. There's so much different help you can get, right? There's so many different conversations that, that could help you. But the most important conversation you could ever have is with yourself. Legitimately, that's where it has to start. 
the relationship with yourself in your head, learning to love yourself is something that like I still to this day struggle with. And I will all that it's a process and it's not like, oh, I'm, I got there, right? Like it's, I'm there, like I'm going to be good now. It's, it's something that you have to work at every day and everything else will follow. Like if you, uh, and it's so much easier saying it, right? Just talking about it right, right, like right, it, right. in the moment, like that stuff's not, when that anxiety hits, when, when it's O2 and right, like, you know, there's one out and a guy on third and late in the game and you're down one and you got to get the guy in. Like it's those moments where like that anxiety creeps up and you know, your mind's going to go either one direction or the other. Right. It's like, uh, and those are the moments where like, if you've trained your mind enough, uh, you know, more times than not, you're going to come out on the good side. And Matt, look how look how right you are, dude. So I had on the show my buddy who I played with. He's the first base coach of the Angels, mm -hmm. big league team. And I asked him, I go, what is Madden telling you guys? You know Madden's the new coach this year? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, dude, the only thing he's worried about is if his players are ready mentally. Yeah. If they're ready to depart from their families and not see him again. If they're ready for a 60-game season. If they're ready to go a slump and they don't have their cute little dog to come home to and cuddle and because you can't, like that is what he's worried about, man. And I don't think, I still think today, it's changed. We're not discussing the powers of the mind, the mm. power of how to prepare for situations, how to prepare for a coronavirus, how to prepare for... A riot, how to prepare for injustice, how to prepare for this. Nobody wants to prepare anymore. Yeah. But it's like weird. It's like we glamorize. Like if you look at it on social media, now we glamorize the preparing. Because an example, what'll be sexy now is a post of a dude crushing it in the cage. Forget about what he's doing in the field. Like cage bombs and that's sexy and a guy running routes and catching with one hand. Forget that he's ever won a Super Bowl or whatever. That becomes sexy. So mm. that's what everybody's going for. But yet we don't focus on the preparation of what that is supposed to give. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, it's a, it's a byproduct of just the day and age. And, uh, You know, there's going to be a lot of flashes in the pan like that, that, yeah. that, you know, go, go viral for a sick one-handed catch. Um, but you know, it's the guys that stick it in the long run, um, put their head down and, 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 and outwork, you know, uh, those are the guys that, that, that are going to make it in the long run. I, oh, I just want, yeah, go ahead. Go, no, you go, you go. I, I was just going to say, I during this quarantine, obviously we've we've had ample opportunity to watch different documentaries and whatnot. Um, I watched, I don't know if you've watched it, but I watched the uh, on ESPN one of these last few weeks. They had a documentary on the Koshien tournament in Japan. Okay. Um, and essentially, what that is is um, it's the craziest high school baseball tournament in the world. Like 
it's the national championship for Japan. Um, and every high school, I think they have like 47 prefects or something there, which are kind of like states. Um, and any team can make it. And like Dice Case played in it. Like um, uh, the guy. Each row, probably all of them, right? Oh, yeah. The, who's the most recent guy uh, for the Angels? Ohani. 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 Yeah. Like he played in it. Like, like tons of guys. And it's like a great honor to play in it. And it's like a one game elimination. And you have to watch it and just notice the. They baseball in Jap Japan culture, and the reason I watch it is because I also build the product. We build the product for the Japanese market, and it's very, very different. I knew it already just because of the background. I need we need to build product from over there, but the concept of baseball there is so different than it is here. Like right now, there's this movement of, um, and it's fine. Like there's two different cultures, right? Here, it's very much like showcases how hard you can throw how fast you can run how many home runs you can hit how far you can hit it like that team concept has its flashes but it's very much like the me 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 over here like how can i get paid right. uh how can i uh not play for my high school team play for this aau team you know like all that kind of stuff whereas like japan the culture in japan is it's a they treat baseball legitimately as a martial art like the teams all wear the same uniform. They wear, they're only allowed to wear white or black cleats. They have to be Velcro. Um, we have to follow very strict guidelines on like shininess and all that. When they run, they have in practice, they have to run in sync, <laughs> like, um, nice. like legitimately military. And, wow. and when they're, when they're, each of the seniors have to mentor younger players and when the coaches speak to the kids regardless if they're getting yelled at or they're being taught something or commended they answer with respect like it's 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 incredible to watch the difference of of that culture to to our culture and crazy crazy difference crazy crazy difference and you realize like when these guys come over here like otani I think when they first said he got over here, he signed like the crazy deal. And then he was living in like a, a dorm room <laughs> and, yeah. and you watch the documentary and you're like, okay, it makes, that makes perfect sense. Like baseball is different to them. It's, it's legit. They, that Cushion tournament means something more to them. It's, it's about their ancestors. It's about pride, like legit when teams get eliminated or even when they win every single kid on the team is bawling crying like like a bawling crying and wow, the fields over there are all dirt right all most of them are all dirt outfields everything every kid on the team has his own rake pre-game and after the game they rake the entire fields but like in sync imagine Dude, that here crazy. imagine that here uh, uh, come on that that would be a disaster bro kids <laughs> fencing <laughs> each other <laughs> throwing <laughs> If you disaster, Matt, let's talk about New Balance, dude. How did the whole New Balance thing come to play? I'm sure being a Boston guy, that company being from there, talk to me about that, man. How did you get that job? Think you'd be working in something like that? So when I got done playing baseball in 2012, 
that next year was a tough year for me. Um, I was 25 years old. Um, I was a kind of like in all eggs in one basket kind of dude. Um, I was still hoping and working out and hoping for a, another shot. My body was starting to feel the toll of football and things like that. And um, I think I was being unrealistic in terms of turning the page. Um, I was bartending at night to try to make ends meet. Uh, and I was just down in general. Um, I think it was probably like seven, eight months after getting released in bartending and all that, where like I found myself drinking more than I usually did. And I never, never have ever been. Well, because as, as a bar dude now, that's, I didn't know that. Let's yeah. talk bartending for a second. Mm-hmm. So in Vegas, I started off as a promoter. Then I worked my way up to a nightclub host. Then I worked my way up to director of VIP services. And I, you have to deal with everybody in the club. Mm. So as a bartender now, talk to me about the bartender life, bro. Was it fun? Did you have a cool spa? Or were you stuck like at some Cheers kind of place? What, what, what was the spot like? funny you say that. Uh, so Cheers was right across the street. So one of my friends from Boston owns a couple different restaurants. And um, he knew he knew that I like was kind of in limbo a bit. And like I didn't know the first thing about bartending at that time. Um, so he put me in the back with, with like this experienced bartender and like I just trained with this dude for like months and legit just every time a person come up and order a drink like he would just walk me through it and that's like how I would learn and um and like yeah there was definitely a time there where I was like this is cool because like the money's good um you know and then like you'd have we were right in Faneuil Hall which is in downtown Boston you know and then there were times where like you'd have athletes come in from like the Celtics or the Bruins or whatever. And then that was when I started to feel like bad because, um, cause you were not there your whole life. It's self-critical. Yeah. Like I was never at that level. Right. But like, um, you still, you're like, oh, I'm behind this bar slinging drinks. Like what kind of purpose am I serving? Right. This and that. And that's not to, that's not to, I'm, I'm in no way shaming anyone for making an honest dollar in the world. I'm just talking specifically with me and how I felt like I knew very quickly, like probably a month in that like being up late and being around that environment wasn't for me. Like it just wasn't healthy for my, for my well being. Um, and it was at that point where I was like, okay, like it's time to turn the page. And I just started legit. I've started putting my resume together. Like you gotta remember, like I played two sports my whole life. I never interned. I never, made a resume like legit i went from college graduating college to pro ball um i worked as a substitute teacher in off season for baseball uh from when i was in the minors and that was legit like my experience um so i was nervous as all hell going into this and i worked with my brother on making my resume and i just i went on legit i called some people like networking's huge obviously um, I called people that I knew were successful from um, from my hometown, alumni from Brown. You know, some of them are going to answer, some of them aren't. Some of them are going to give you some good information. Some of them are going to give you some just generic stuff. Like that's just how it goes. You don't, and you can't get offended at that stuff. You don't know, 
you don't know what time, you know, you don't know what they're going through at that time. You could get them at the worst time ever or, or what have you, uh, or they could be their jobs on the line or whatever. Um, and I learned that. So you, you're you could get a lot of no's um, like, no, I, sorry, I can't help you. And that definitely happens. And that's, that was discouraging at the time, but you realize like all you need is one shot. And um, I remember being on LinkedIn and I was just, I was like, okay, I've applied for all these jobs. Like it wasn't even in the sports world. It was like, I like stuff that sales for like software companies. Stuff like, that you I, never it, thought you'd do. Yeah. And I, and I was like, and I took some interviews and after the interviews I'd sit there and I'd be like, yeah, if I get that job, I'm probably going to be very sad within a very be a miserable time. dude. My yeah, depression is yeah. going to go through the roof. So I knew, I was like, all right, I need to start zoning in on sports. Like, that's my life. That's what I love, being around. If I, you know, if I'm not playing, you know, I can, I can at least be around it in some capacity. So then my mind would go to coaching, scouting, um, anything with sports. So then I just started searching for jobs in sports and then searching around our area. And I saw this job for New Balance that said product manager. I read the description. I was like, holy crap, like zero possibility I meet any of those requirements. And I think that's a huge point for your listeners, anyone listening that's, that, that reads those things is like, you never know legit what they're looking for. Um, I threw my resume out there and they didn't call me for months, like legit two months uh, to the point where like I forgot what the what the listing even was. And um, they're like, we're going to set up a phone interview. So I was like, OK, great. So I did the phone interview with the HR department and my brother, I was my brother was coaching me up pretty good. And he was like, how'd it go? I was like, it went good. It went good. I, I was like. I don't think anything will come of it like because uh, I read the thing and I was like, they're just being nice or something like that's just the pessimism is me. And uh, he's like, you don't know. You don't know what they're looking for. He said that right away. And the next day they called me. They're like, we want you to come in for an interview um, with the hiring managers. And the funniest part is I didn't even know the kid, the kid who I would be reporting to was the owner's son of New Balance. Thank God wow. I didn't know that. I probably would have peed down my leg. Right. right? I would have been like, I love New Balance. <laughs> right. But instead I went in there and my thing was like, I didn't want to go in there and be somebody I'm, I wasn't. Um, and I was, I went in there with the mindset of like, this is going to be good practice for me because um, I, I really haven't gone through these processes much. Um, so I went in there with the, the mindset of like, okay, learn from this, think about the questions they're asking you, um, you know, answer honestly, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, very quickly, I, I interviewed with Chris Davis, um, who was probably three or four years older than me. He's, he, he still works at NB, obviously, uh, his dad is Jim Davis. He now works in marketing. He's like one of the global marketing directors. Um, Eventually, he will take the reins. Um, and then Mark Quinard, who's who ran field of play at that time, but now he is the vice president of global footwear. And um, very quickly, the the interviews turned into like conversations. And but I, like I almost forgot I was interviewing, which was really cool. Like uh, that immediately is like a, a good fit. And um, 
remember them asking me some kind of weird questions and whatnot, but like it still went pretty good. And I remember them, uh, I think it was Clink, Mark Lennard at the end was like, and he tells me this all the time now because we're friends. He tells, uh, he, he tells people like, yeah, he's like, we had this kid Nuzzo come in and I asked him at the end, like, is there anything else you want me to know about you? Um, and I was like, yeah, I was like, I just want to be super clear and super honest with you. I was like, I want you to know that, like, I don't know jack shit about the business side of this. Like, I don't know anything. Like, you said it like that, though? You said, I don't know jack shit? Yes. I said, I don't know jack shit about it. Like, I go, I want to learn. I go, I know every, everything there is to know about baseball. Like, I, it's been my life. I, I, I know about cleats. I know about all the brands. I, 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 I'm passionate about it. I go, and I want to use that passion to learn about this business. I want to learn about this business side. Like, I, I, I don't want to come in here and, and make you think, like, yeah, I, I, I go, I want, you to, I want you to know that I want to learn. And that was the last thing we, I said. And literally, the, uh, it might have even been later that day. Like, they, they called me. They called me that day and said they wanted to give me a project to do. And I was like, okay, yeah, just let me know. But then I got a call either the next day or later that day that said, if we offered it to you, would you take it? And I was like, yes. And immediately. And, um, and that's what happened. And basically what Clink told me after was like, they had been interviewing for that job for months where they had people coming in from other brands, Mizuno and Nike and Under Armour, who had, pre who had, uh, who had been preconditioned, right, with like, I've done this. This is the way I've done it. This is how I see things. This is what I can bring. This is, you know, this is my idea of something where they were legitimately looking for somebody that they could mold how they saw fit for, for nice. their, their vision. Right. And that goes right back to what my brother was saying was like, you don't know what they're looking for. And like, it all just kind of aligned. And like, if I didn't say that at the end, I probably don't get that job. If I faked, if I went in there and was like, yes, like I understand that the baseball cleated market is $300 million annually. And your shares probably X amount. Like, like that would have been number one. It would have been so obvious that I didn't understand what I was saying at the time. It would have right. been so inauthentic. I might've felt good in the moment. Like I, like I knew what I was talking about, but it, they would have known. Right. And, and even if not, even if they believed me, there would have came a time very shortly thereafter where I was exposed. <laughs> like they would have been like, there would have been a question that I would have been like, you're asking yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> that guy wants to answer. <laughs> Matt, right now, what is the, the top selling new balance shoe is which one right now for baseball? Which, what, which cleat? Um, so right now our big models, uh, 4040 V5, um, Talk about that yeah, model so, for a second. Yeah, so the V5, so we have two model, two main models, uh, the 4040 family and the 3000 family. Every year we update one of them. Um, this year has been very interesting given the, the world, right? Um, so uh, typically um, people buy cleats the most in the months of January through March. This year, legitimately, baseball hasn't been played until now. Um, so it's caused definitely some obstacles, not just for us, but for everyone. Um, so it's a very unique 
unique year. It's definitely caused some issues that we have to work through. Um, uh, baseball, baseball cleats or cleats in general are very difficult form of footwear um, and very general footwear lingo, right? Like if you build a sneaker, just like a regular sneaker, a tennis sneaker, um, and you build 100,000 pairs of it, right? And it doesn't sell well, right? There's lots of places that will buy that shoe for base, maybe what, what it costs you to make and sell it for way below what you were hoping to get just to like maybe break even. You know, those, you know, the, um, what are the off price, like JC Pennies of the world, maybe, or um, what am I thinking of? Uh, Marshalls or whatever. Yeah, yeah, those places. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like cleats, <laughs> right? They're for a very specific purpose. So you build a ton of cleats. There are not places like that. There's a finite amount of, players and in places so those cleats now like you're you're taking a massive hit um so that's probably happening across the board um and so we're reacting to that and making a plan on how on how to address the rest of the year and how it affects things going forward um things have been starting to look up the last few weeks um and hopefully now that mlb is getting going um next week um, you know, things will still continue to pick up, uh, cause we do have some really cool stuff planned for the, for, you know, the, the near future. We have some cool stuff coming out with Lindor. We have an another really cool collab for next year. Um, but yeah, the 4040 right now is our big model. And then next year, little sneak peek, 3000 V5, uh, for January. Uh, nice. Yeah, January. But we're gonna do a limited drop in the in the playoffs. Nice, dude. Nice. Yeah. So At, lots of what fire. is what uh which color color combination is your favorite? Oh man. So I'm a I love color, man. I love uh, so like baseball is driven by a lot of the team colors, the uniforms. Um, there has been a huge uptick in white cleats, which are just people have always liked white cleats, but I think with the the field surfaces changing to more turf now, people are actually buying white cleats, and there's just that super clean look to it. Um, but like, if you're gonna talk like pure color, pure color combo, um, man, that's a tough one. I'd probably go wild man i'd probably go like a custom something with like uh you know what wait till wait till march and you'll see or keep we'll your eye out for on. lindor you'll yeah you'll keep your eye out for what lindor is wearing in uh in the next few weeks because we've been working on something with him that's very trend relevant in the fashion world but um very very colorful and like that's i'm, I'm into the pop colors big time you like the pop colors it's so funny dude when i interviewed him in new york mm -hmm. he was i gave him a i gave him a hard time because when he came nighttime he was wearing it the dude must i said you have all of madison avenue on you bro he had literally yeah dior gucci this that, that. yeah he had Wait some till he gets paid. Wait till he gets paid. 
I said, wait till he gets paid. I mean, yeah, gets, bro. I think he got pay arbitration, but wait till he hits his big deal. He's gonna be out he's of control. Still, oh my god, he he loves fashion, man. He's learning. Like he he gets. Like, he's probably gonna take my job. And, <laughs> Sick, <laughs> sick, 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 sick. He really, right really, now. really cool dude. Matt, yeah, what your favorite type of music, bro? You know, someone asked me that yesterday too. Try to put on music to work out. I'm, I'm all over the joint. I'm versatile with music. Uh, I really like everything, to be honest. I like a mix of everything. Um, but if you could listen to one, who do, who we, who we listen to? One. I would probably say, you know, to be honest, like I just, I don't, I, I just put on mixes on Spotify and it's, it's just the algorithms learned me. I would say probably like, uh, I do like Post Malone a lot. I okay. like Post Malone. Um, Favorite Post Malone song? Um, probably some of his main, his more mainstream ones. I mean, they all sound very similar to me. I would say probably uh, what was his very first, very first big hit? Was it White Iverson? I'm not White Iverson. Um, yeah. Rock star or something like that? Maybe, maybe rock star. But yeah. All right. I'm terrible with the name of the song. Now nah, you're good, dude. You're good. Matt, listen, dude, I think, man, and I'll still say this till today, man, you're one of the special guys that has such good skill set, people skills, man, the right mindset to do what you're doing, to have the background and the education of where you've come from, bro. So I, I think in no time, Rude, we're going to be talking to the VP of something, president of something. <laughs> in that world because dude you're super 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 talented man uh, i appreciate the kind words man and uh, and thank you very much for inviting me on uh, boom there it is thank you so much for listening thank you so much for the love big shout out to my man matt for taking the time it's your coach remember i love every single one of you at the end of the day remember just go hard and do your thing love you guys See you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.